This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to being always ready to discuss all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I didn't put enough zzz in that. Always ready. I may be, obviously, the only one who would be dumb enough to start the show that way. Uh, I'm joined by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, who is also always ready. And I'm doing all right. You know, I I, I don't know if it's like the state of the world or the state of my psyche, but last night I had like a five-minute psychological break. Bentley was here for it. And I'm coming out of it. Well, I'm certain we're going to talk about what happened when we get to that part on the show. But, you know, I'm making do with what I have. You know, I'm trying to build things up, not tear them down. How are you doing, A.B.? Doing all right. Uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. New house. It's uh, overwhelming, stressful. So dealing with that, but that's over. Don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'm also joined by Nate. Nate, are you always ready? No, I'm very rarely ready. <laughs> um, big procrastinator. I do not like to prepare. Uh, I just like to take things as they come to me and not really devote a lot of thought to them in advance. Um, so that's, you know, how I approach the podcast and most things. Uh, what's up with me? I got a new plant gimmick. Uh, just arrived yesterday, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, it's one of these little self-contained growing units. So I got that in the bedroom. Going to get some greenery going in there. Start with some basil. I also have um, a self-contained growing unit in the bedroom. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's all right. You're welcome to chime in, and we can uh, we can how's how's yours faring so far? Uh, I was making a uh, a wordplay oh. pun there. <laughs> it's foul and disgusting. Um, I don't uh, care for it. I don't yeah. endorse it. I knew you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk about wholesome, normal things like basil. Sure. So. So what kind of, is this like the long leaf basil or is this like more of a standard one or do you know? Um, like I have no idea. I don't, don't know the difference. Haven't done any preparation or reading on it. I respect um, that. I respect that. I have reason to believe it will be green. One would hope. That's my, that's my, my first guess. Um, yeah, so far so good. <laughs> I, I, it's something like I've always like looked at those things. I know we've talked about our various plant lives on the show before, but it's one of those things I'm like, I'm terrified that something will break in the middle of the night and my floor be flooded because bad things happen to me. But I fully endorse you turning into a gentleman farmer. I think that's a good brand choice for 2020, Nate. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm not concerned about the water. Um, now I do, you know, it's got a bright grow light thing on it that's set to... 16 hours on and then eight hours off and it's just you know a daily rotation that way and that's just not going to be enough granular control for me like on the weekends where i would you know 
like to sleep in from time to time. Uh, so I'm going to have to get a, a smart plug gimmick or something so I can turn it off and have it turn on later in the day or on weekends or something like that. Maybe you got any smart appliances in that new home of yours? No. So I'm really actually, I'm very mad about this. I, so we, we had to buy a new washer and dryer because it was in the contract to leave the ones we had at our old house and the new house didn't have any. So had to buy some. I don't know really anything about appliances generally. Uh, but the one thing I wanted was the, the Wi-Fi gimmick so that I could start it or, from my phone. And I can't imagine really ever using that, but maybe it would happen. And we got the wash and dryer installed. I went to do a load of laundry and uh, no fucking Wi-Fi, folks. So I don't know how well, good. I screwed that up. Did, well, you, good. did you just you, not buy one with Wi-Fi in it? Uh, it, seems, it seems that I failed at, at that um, hmm. primary task. You, you should not be having like advanced computers in your washer and dryer. Like I'm vehemently against the internet of things, even though I have like my my lights all set to my phone. Having a washer and dryer connected to your phone, that's just you're asking for someone to hack your phone. They're going to get into your Wi-Fi and then they're going wash to wash your clothes. Yeah, that'd be I, fucking I got awesome. Flood because of washers and dryers. They're serious business. I don't trust anyone. Yeah, with that dumb power. washers and dryers, not smart ones. Do you think that this washer and dryer is vetted enough for it's smart enough not to like flood your downstairs or your basement or wherever you have your washer machine, you maniac? I think that's independent of if it can connect to your phone and tell you if the load's done or not. Yeah, uh, I used to have the uh, I had the Nest gimmick at the old house, but uh, I left it behind. So I don't You know, you can negotiate all those things. When you when you list the property, you don't have to. Oh, it's yeah. in the contract that I lose my washer and dryer now. No, 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 no. But the, yeah, they asked for the washer and dryer, and I didn't care, so that was fine. The Nest, I honestly, I was going to replace it the day we moved out, and I like read all the instructions of how to do it, and I was like, ah, fuck, this is going to take more <laughs> effort than I want to put in. So I, I mean, just you didn't do you, it. <laughs> you very well could have run into like a closing issue doing that because people will come and be like, oh, they removed the fucking thermometer yeah from the also, wall that was there i couldn't decide about that i mean it was not specifically mentioned um but it is like attached to the house so you yeah. know that was i couldn't decide so i just decided fuck it it's like a 200 dollars item uh i can buy another one if i if i need to so yeah no at this point in time no smart appliances in the house i do we had some on our on like a couple of lamps at one time and I liked it, except they would it would often not work. So I need ones that that work. Then I would think it was cool, basically. Yeah the the utility of them is, you know, very limited. Except for like turn on and off at a specific time is or, or turn on and off when I push a button on my phone, because there's no you know switch that's readily available by the outlet. That's like the only real function I need for smart things. Yeah, I'm one of these weirdos who, like, when we're gone for uh, some period of time, I'm like, oh, I want to be able to turn a light on at, like, a certain oh, yeah. time on a certain day, you know, so people think I'm home. Um, even though it's like, you know, if you were putting that much effort into staking out my house, you would realize that I'm not there. Yeah, really delusional. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just yeah. like that's everybody's dad's behavior. It's, oh, I need that yes. lamp on a yeah. timer. So nobody, like, first of all, nobody's breaking into your house. <laughs> it's not happening ever. Um. And yeah, secondly, like they're not going to be tricked by a light. This is Home Alone with the cardboard cutouts dancing on a sophisticated pulley system. 
yeah like i feel like that's something that my lights can do that and yes i know i i was being a hypocrite talking about not trusting a washer and dryer but i trust the lights because the lights can't flood my house but it just cause fires (laughs) i mean with illumination I mean, that's also too. Maybe somehow I can get these lights actually give me a, a, a tan. I was looking at my skin earlier and I'm incredibly pale even for myself. But like thinking about like scheduling your lights like this, like that's definitely something that my parents have told me like each time. Like, like yeah, no, guys, I'm going out of time. It's like, do you have your lights set up on a timer? And I'm like, no, like that's something like this. I can do that, but no, because I when I watched uh, Home Alone, I realized it was an act of fiction. Yeah, my, my wife's parents have like, old school timers on basically every light in the house so they oh, just the ones like, with the twist knobs yeah so they just like come oh, yeah. on and off at, at a given time every day and they have as long as i've known them so it's very funny i should i don't know maybe i should try to get her into smart appliances so she could use it from her phone the, the ones that really freak me out like the washer and dryer one thing it's the wi-fi fridge that's the one that like because they're going to track your eating habits because they're the ones that you scan the UPC code as you put it in the fridge and then it'll be like, your eggs are about to expire. No, they're just tracking data on you. Like those are the ones I just can't abide by. Like washer yeah, and dryer. Not even the, the hassle of doing that is worth more than the supposed benefit. So yeah, it's just not, not real. We'll never catch on. We'll never happen. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, the Smart Appliances podcast. So we're just my, my own fear of singularity talking, talk, hour. talking about smart appliances. If you want to know more about the smart appliances in our respective homes, you can tweet us at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron, like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us that automatic download when the podcast comes out. We would appreciate it. Give us a five-star rating and a review if you use the Apple Podcast app. And if you want to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash everything elite. August is going to be a big month on the Patreon, which we'll talk about later. On the show, today, we're going to play Elite or Delete. Going to run down Dynamite. We'll talk ratings. We'll talk about what's going to be on Dynamite next week. I want to start uh, briefly a little differently than normal because I'm confused by some reactions that i've seen what uh what did you guys think generally just like your overall thoughts on the episode like i know i think we all pretty much hated last week right last week was the bad one and the week before that we all loved so i feel like there's more dissonant discourse on this episode so i'm wondering what you guys thought about this episode overall well i'll tell you just from looking at the notes here which i am observing for the first time today um again preparation uh i i thought it was a very strong episode i think most i think you guys are just wrong for most of the things you've noted here is bad i think almost everything was good on this show i i think like my thing is there is one major angle that's going on that i think they uh i don't see the point of running this angle in this fashion and for like well, when we start breaking down the show, there's one match that I have a very divergent opinion that I know everyone in the Discord was probably thinking I was a crazy person for having this thought on this. So I, I'm okay. I mean, I thought the show was much better than last week's. Don't think it was good as two weeks ago. But there are some really like things that I absolutely loved about the show, and then there are some things about this show that, and it could just be a personal taste thing. Like I, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, what kind of wrestling they like, and what kind of wrestling they don't like. Just don't shove it down each other's throats. I just, you know, there are certain things here that just 
did not hit me as as the way it did on someone else. So I take that as my problem, not others. Yeah, I didn't really care for this episode. So uh, so this will be fun. Let's see what happens. So Nate, we're gonna we're gonna go elite or delete. Delete. Elite. Delete. Elite. And I want you to uh, to kick us off. So what was your favorite thing on a, a show full of things you enjoyed? I'm not sure you left enough time there to, to drop in our uh, extremely popular elite or delete drop. Oh, uh, oh I've got it handled. Okay. It, it's good. It's good. Because you kind of, it was kind of a run on sentence where you just carried from one thought right into the next. I did. I, I, I like not, as, that, not as smooth today as, as I normally am. Sorry, everyone. I, I like to think that AB each week likes to find a new editing challenge for me. So that, <laughs> that's just this one. So, yeah. Uh, so my, I have some thoughts. Or I had a couple candidates, I should say, for the elite thing that I'm going to pick here. But uh, again, looking at your guys' notes here for what you might be talking about, I'll, I'll pick something off the board. Um, I think the best friends are really getting some momentum. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, basically the charming sort of angle that they're running with Trent's mom uh, and them being able to do some classic pro wrestling promos in their, you know, very contemporary characters and being elevated, I think, uh, on the level with Orange Cassidy where he's in a main event feud. Uh, You know, it's given them a lot of room to, get out there and show who their characters are. Uh, they delivered here in a good match with Proud and Powerful on this show. And then we had a tremendous angle where Proud and Powerful, you know, they've been beaten a pretty good amount in this promotion recently, but still remain a hot act because they go out here and fuck up Sue's car. Uh, you know, it's sold perfectly. Um, we get, you know, the reaction from Sue and the reaction from uh, the best friends on Twitter. And uh, I, you know, the stipulation for their rubber match is a rubber match. Stipulation for their next match confrontation is that Santana and Ortiz have to apologize to Sue on speakerphone. And that's just like the correct level for me. That's the right layer of acknowledging the silliness of wrestling and, uh, you know, still having like some respect for the idea of like stipulations and that anything matters or means anything at all. That's just, you know, amuses me. I like it. I like them. Best friends. Yeah, I think that you made a good point about how they're allowing Trent and Chuck to kind of show their character and their likability through this. And they're doing this in a way that is, it does kind of feel like, oh, hey, like they're kind of tapping into what made them somewhat of like internet darlings and how people who aren't always like super into wrestling, they get in, they see the best friend stuff. They're like, Oh yeah, no, I think this is like really funny, but it also taps into like the idea of like wrecking someone's car and like getting so furious about it. That's a really like, just like old school, like Southern angle that you would have being like, just like some really like, the angle of like getting people getting hit by a car and a lot happening in like mid South and in, in Memphis. And it's a very like smart update, I think to, modern wrestling and modern wrestling sensibilities. These four guys have great chemistry. And I think that this could be a few that they could have run for a while. They could have the fact that they, that the best friends beat them again and they refuse to do the, uh, 
apology on speakerphone in the middle of the ring, and it could lead to like a Bodega Street fight, and then we can see uh, Deathmatch Dustin again, and I think that would be really good. And I think it's something that, you know, with like the tag team scene, like they need to be able to show that they can have plans for more than one tag team or more than one feud at the same time, and it seems like that they're doing that, and you know, and their match was fun. Like their their match was a solid match. So it's it's something that I think across the board, they they do need to find a way to get uh, proud and powerful a little bit back more on the up and up. It does feel like that they're that they have been kind of had not really like, like treated seriously. And I think that this angle, in a very comedic way, you can make this into a serious thing for proud and powerful. My only criticism is you, you got to put tags on the prop van. Uh, you know. When they when they get back around to the back oh. of the van, it has no tags. <laughs> it's just you know, kind of hurts your ability to uh, to really cry for Sue's van. I guess that's really it. That's my only I did, bad. I didn't. I genuinely did not notice that until everyone on Twitter did. It was like, okay, well, you're not really going to put her fucking license plate on TV. So no, but I mean, you could like blur it out, right? You'd be like, well, we can't show Sue's. We can't well, show Sue's idea, tags yeah. or something. But yeah. They they could have like AEW license plate like they had that one for like the Mox and Cage thing, but they also could just have like ones that they sell in their store. Because I'd be stunned if they don't sell AEW like vanity license plates, you know, like like that, and just put those on the car, and that's all. It. I mean, it wasn't a huge deal for me, but I can get why other people are like this kills a little bit of the believability. What was your favorite thing from the show, Mike? Gotta say, I. Uh... The the introduction it, of the the introduction of the van and Chuck Taylor tweeting Chekhov's van kind of uh, kind of sunk <laughs> the idea of believability right off the bat. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And I've been calling all week that for whatever like not to tr- not to go completely off course when we've already talked about the internet and things and the home appliances. Like the idea of like the WWE Underground was going to be like a Street Fighter like thing and they all should beat up cars. I'm glad that AEW decided to beat up a car this week. Like doing what other companies didn't do uh my favorite thing is you know this has been a tough time for everyone you know 2020 has been a year that's felt like a decade but i had a moment a singular moment during last night's episode of dynamite that it was almost like that the clouds parted the light beams came down there were rainbows it was all happiness and it was always ready matt cardona's hot tag and and the uh Cody Rhodes and Matt Cardona match versus the Beaver Boys, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver, just because of it, it, it. It's not like me slamming on Matt Cardona. It just was something that was so genuinely like gleeful seeing this guy who's he's looking very well right now come in on a hot tag when Cody, the uh, secondary champion, has been taking the heat for most of this match, and the way he cleared house where he did like forearms, he did like a he did like a double knee reversal. He looked like he was going to pop a tope, eh? which is something you expect in this promotion that someone's going to do. Like, oh, both of the Beaver Boys are out on the floor. This he's rearing up to the ropes. He's going to be going and doing like a tope con hello or tope suicida. No, he does a double baseball slide and then he powers up and he does a fucking tiger driver for a near fall. <laughs> and it just made me so happy that this was happening. And it was so silly that it, I, I've not had had a moment like this in wrestling in a long time. But seeing Matt Cardona in this promotion doing a really weird house of fire hot tag really made nine night. Yeah, the whole match was like built for the hot tag. And so I was on the Discord live chat. I was like, Buddy, he better have something ready to go for this because... And he did. <laughs> the match lives or dies on this hot tag. And I'm not sure that it was good, but it was definitely funny. So it was worth it. 
Uh, I disagree. The whole match was built toward the reveal that his finisher was named Radio Silence <laughs> because they've turned off the radio that played his old music <laughs> that he has to tell tell him everything it knows. Um, oh, radio. Yeah. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I, I came on uh, the show and, you know, buried Matt Cardona because I don't really have any use for him as just, uh, you know, downtrodden WWE guy, but there is something charming about him, like being uh, so thrilled about <laughs> being in AEW um, and like having his, you know, action figures podcast and like doing a Pearl River plunge because they decided that was going to happen, I guess. Uh, it's just insane. He was like, oh, wow, I finally got fucking fireworks. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to stay mad at these guys for too long or uh, yeah, whatever. Um but the, the notable thing about the match was like this was like the most time and uh, uh, attention they ever gave to Silver and Reynolds as a team here. I don't know if that was just like, well, we need to we need to prove that you know Matt Cardona can have AEW style matches and deliver in that way or something, or if it was like, oh yeah, uh, Silver and Reynolds are getting over on BTE, uh, but they gave him a ton here and had him like, you know show out and do their shit uh and they delivered so that was the most interesting part of it to me um uh, okay so oh i was i was gonna pick or do my elite pick of the week and i'm gonna go because i have uh you know i've said i've criticized john moxley promos in the past i kind of said that he's not really living up to the hype of being a big promo guy and then on this show he put one completely together in a way that that really encapsulated everything that he can do well about a promo. So he takes this match that's pretty well cold. I mean, they are, you know, they were tag team partners and not in like a WWE way last week. Like they're buddies, you know, two faces, tag team partners. And then they just kind of like, oh, now you're going to have a title match. But he gave it a real interest. He, he drew up my interest in the match and gave me, a little bit of stakes in the match, something to watch for, something to care about in the match. But even on top of that, he was able to elevate Darby in a way and make Darby seem like, you know, maybe he's not to Mox's level yet, but that Mox sees him as a guy who could be on that level, which I think is important for Darby Allen, the character. So he kind of he dialed it back. This could be a, a personal thing. This is like, there's no goofiness, no Mox goofiness in this promo. It's just like straight down the barrel, um, serious with like, just, it felt real. You know, it just felt like a real thing from this character. So thought it was a great promo. And I hope it's something that we, we get more of Mo more out of Mox. I mean, he has the charisma. So I want to see him be a little goofy sometimes, like have a little fun, but I think there's a better mix uh, that he hasn't hit yet. And this was a good step toward going back to like the great promo that he has been. Yeah. And I think like over the last few weeks, he's been better on promos. Coincidentally, it's also when he started doing promos more in like construction parks, like he's getting back to his roots. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's doing it for the dub right now. And I think the thing that was really remarkable about this promo is that this felt like a perfunctory title match coming up. Like, Oh, we need to clear Darby out. He's been, he's back now. He's ranked. We need to like have a title match, and they did it. And Mox did like, and it was only like what about a minute fifteen, maybe less than a minute. He was, he gave a very clear 
reason for why he what's his motivations are coming to this match he put over his opponent he made sure he was going like i'm going to win but darby when i put you down stay down i've i've been through a lot of things and i've realized things i see a lot of that in you and i feel like it's really been building up in a certain way that like i'm hoping like this is more of the john moxley stuff we see versus like i i think that after jericho he just kind of was just out there in the wilderness and they kind of refocus him a bit with the whole Brian cage angle. And maybe this is something that it's directed enough. And now he's going to be moving into a, a program with MJF for the pay-per-view that I expect that this is the kind of momentum that I want to see like John Moxley on the microphone have. I guess like one thing that's interesting to me is has Moxley mentioned MJF on these past two shows? Not to my no. knowledge. No. Yeah, I mean, like, so we've gone from MJF making, having, doing this big proclamation. Then this week we find out that Tony Khan has already said they're going to have the match at All Out. And Mox is just like in this other world doing this much more interesting thing <laughs> and ignoring MJF, which, you know, I'm sure that they'll find a way to make that uh, part of the story and interesting. But right now I'm just like, no, I would much rather Mox stay over uh, in this world than go into the MJF world. All right, well, let's talk about the things that we did not like. Nate, sounds like maybe you didn't have much. So what's your pick? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll broach this. This is a issue that has totally mis- metastasized uh, and blown up in AEW's face over the past couple weeks. And, uh, you know, it was kind of at the beginning of the promotion, a narrative that uh, was used to criticize the promotion even before it was fair, but... Uh, has now become, you know, uh, an obvious weak point, and we've talked about it a lot. Uh, yeah, the women's division just had nothing on the show at all, pretty much. Um, you got one match. They hit their requisite, you know, one match requirement here. Uh, and I have wanted to see Rebel get involved because uh, I thought that would be a funny thing for the Britt, Bar- Britt Baker character to do. Uh, but... You know, you had one match and it was basically a joke match at that because Rebel was just in there to be a, a tin can for Big Swole. Um, yeah, man, you know, there's been a whole lot of discourse. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the discourse or, you know, Twitter controversies or all this stuff because a lot of that stuff is just fake. But, uh, you know, just there, there's no reason they can't have more stories. They can't be building more people. Uh, they can't have more matches. I mean, you know, we acknowledge there's a significant part of their roster that's not able to be in the country because they're from overseas. Um, but, you know, while we would certainly like to have those people, they could have had more people on the roster to begin with. Nicole Savoy is sitting out there. Um, they could have gone and gotten. Uh, I know there are people with like NWA obligations, I think maybe, but there's also a lot of independent talent that just doesn't have contracts that you could use. Uh, you like go down shimmer people that shimmer used last year. Uh, you get Zoe Sky. I don't think she's in Japan right now uh, for a good reason. Uh, and is totally competent and can have a competent TV match. You know, put her in there to give Penelope Ford a win on her record. Uh, you know, do fucking Nicole Savoy versus uh, Nyla Rose. That'd probably be a really great match. So, yeah, it's just not enough. Um, and, you know, said it time and time again, it just doesn't. They've heard the complaints over months at this point, and they've not made a real effort at fixing it. They did, you know, they started the Deadly Draw tournament, which is a good initiative, and they took it seriously on the show, and we got to see some new people, and we got to, uh, you know, Veda Scott was great on that show. 
Uh, and then they made zero mention of it on television this week, which is just, that's working against yourself. Like that's not even like a, you know, uh, a fan coming from a, a complaint perspective who just, you know, wants to find something wrong. Like that's your own product. Why would you not promote your own shit? That's just, that's just foolishness. And it's something that I do think that maybe like looking at like talent to bring in, what's the current situation of Hikaru Shida? Your women's champion, like made a big, they made a big deal with Hikaru Shida, like wanting to have challengers and they did like this quick program with Diamante. It didn't exactly really pay off and it didn't really like knock it out of the park, but like someone like Nicole Savoy, you brought up there, they have a pay-per-view in 30 days or less than 30 days. And we have no direction whatsoever of what the world women's title is looking like. And it's something where, like, a lot of it is, at least this is just, like, my read situation. Like, there is, like, the COVID factor and the fact that they've been tremendously unlucky in a lot of ways with some injuries that have happened. But it does seem like, in a lot of ways, that's, that it does kind of seem like one week you have one women's thing, one week you have the next women's thing. And other than like the very quick, like Britt Baker segments, which, Hey, I mean, they've mostly been solid. So I think like that's been like a pretty decent build. You, you just like, there seems to be a complete inability for them to on the same show, have two storylines go on with the women. And then you have the, you have the uh, women's tag team cup, which is something that I think that even though it, it does very much seem like that one person's in charge of one thing and one person's in charge of the other thing, it's a smart idea, especially considering how depleted their women's division is. And with the people they've been bringing in with dark, like they, they've already hired a lot of the people from dark that they thought was like worth it. So like you're bringing in people like take Conti and like this. So like you have that, but it seems like that, at least in my opinion, and a lot of things like this whole entire situation, it's a problem of their own making. It's a lot of unforced errors. And it's something that I don't think that there is a responsible fix that can happen within the next month or within the next three months. I think this is something that's going to take years and that's dumb and it's bad. And it's, and it's how they've programmed the, the promotion and it's a slight. And I know that a lot of things they live and die by ratings and segments. And maybe the segments say that, but you're never going to have the situation where you could rely on people. Cause I know like one of the big things was women's main events. I saw that uh, about like that out on WrestleNomics today. I did not get a chance to read. I just saw that this article was published and you're not going to have a situation where you could feel comfortable and that you're going to be able to have that unless you already like are preparing things on TV for your viewers to begin with. And I think that that is again, another unforced error. And it's something that I I don't want to go see like a situation where they have like a world women's, a world women's match with like Hikaru Shida versus someone in the main event and for it to fall flat. And they've created a situation where it would happen. Right. So it's like, you have to kind of like, they've had like almost a year of TV and they've not done anything to like within their viewers minds and their attention spans, to, like want to stay around it and build, build it. So they don't have those situations. So I guess like in a roundabout way, I completely agree with you. It's just like, I, I, I kind of look at it more as like an overall environmental set of errors that they have. And that's not even getting into other things that have become parts of the Twitter discourse. Yeah. No, they, if they're going to improve the division, they have to start investing in it. And they're investing in it less now than they were, less now than ever. So they're moving backwards. And, you know, I understand that it's a ratings-driven product and they live and die by television. And, uh, you know, if they, if they have to introduce new people uh, to, to get them over, to make them 
you know, uh, deliver in the ratings department. Like, I understand that's, you know, maybe not doable uh, in every segment on the show. But, you know, outside of the Britt Baker program, they're just they're not making an effort to do it whatsoever on these last few shows. That certainly sounds like a good reason to make women stars on your show. If you're going to need to drive ratings uh, and you want to attract young people, you know, it seems like a, a good reason. But I think the most the most compelling thing to me uh, from this conversation was was what you said, Nate, about that they clearly are responsive to things <laughs> that their fans say. And they like maybe too responsive. <laughs> exactly. You will get like 10 people talking about something on Twitter and AW will change something drastically and quickly. So the fact that the women's division is exactly the same, if, if not worse than it's ever been, leads only, you know, unquestionably to the conclusion that Tony Khan is not interested in building a women's division. And until that changes, I really think that's why there's this whole issue about, oh, Kenny has some influence for a while. Brandy has some influence. Then she does this little thing. It's because Tony doesn't really give a shit about it. And he's like, yeah, fine. You do that. You do that. I don't care. And it just never comes together. I mean, it, we look at basically every wrestling promotion ever, and there's always something that gets ignored. And so it has to be delegated. If it's important, it has to be delegated to someone else to take care of completely delegated. And it doesn't look like uh, that's going to happen in AEW anytime soon. And the women are going to uh, fail because of it. I mean, yeah, the, you know, I think you can delegate to a degree. You can say, okay, you know, Hey, I'm Tony Khan. I don't particularly care about this. My uh, formative wrestling was ECW or whatever. Like I don't give a shit about serious women's wrestling. Um, I'm going to delegate this to Kenny and Brandy or whoever, like, you know, I don't have any insight into whether that relationship works to do that, but you still have to give them the time. You have to give them the room to run with that. You can't just say, okay, you get uh, six minutes for a big swole uh, versus Britt Baker angle and then match. Uh, so yeah, build the women's division. Just, you know, doesn't work. You have to, you have to give them the, the, the capital in terms of time on the show in order to do anything. And it's not there. But even within that, Nate, like if you if if Tony Khan said, okay, you get 10 minutes every week, we don't even see like something compelling from week to week in the yeah. women's division. So it's clear to me that neither he nor anyone he's delegated to has like a a, a, a vision for the women's division. It's just like it's booked. The women's division is booked the way that like Raw feels like it's booked every right. week. Week to week. Yeah. Yeah. It's just well, reverse engineer it from how much time we have left on the show. Okay. Uh, fuck. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's some, and, and it's something where like you say about like, you look how it's booked with, with that. Like you look at, I, I imagine that like, if you do like a spreadsheet of, is it based around the women's world title or, or is it based around something else? Like they only have focus on really on one of them each week. And that's something that like, the idea of using YouTube as shoulder content and like as an add-on for your promotion is a solid idea, but unless like there's some way you can directly see of like, oh, we we've now now have like this Anna J and Tay Conti team that started and has has a huge upset that they had in the first round. Unless you have a way to like chart that converting over to TV, like it, it's good that you're like having people have matches who need matches, but it, it doesn't pay off. So it, it does seem like that everyone involved, at least in that decision-making, there's no coherence to it whatsoever. And until there's a little bit of coherence, it's going to be like this. And it's going to be something that 
each each month they don't fix it, as I say, it's going to be another month tacked on to uh, them putting things into a situation where things do well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, is anybody going to uh, complain about Hikaru Shida versus cheerleader Melissa getting hot shotted on a week just for a title defense? Uh, mentioned Dust, Zoe Sky, uh, Sea Stars might have NWA deals. I think they might have appeared on NWA or something. Did. I, I know at least uh, Ashley Box does. Yeah. Or had at one time. Brittany Blake. Um, you know, there's a lot of Priscilla Kelly's been in the company, totally competent, can be on television, has, you know, television appeal. Um, there's just plenty of people they could be using. So I don't, you know, the, the, the argument that, of you know, all their top talents overseas. Well, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not containing this virus anytime soon. So you kind of have to start with new talent now. <laughs> B. Priestley and Riho aren't walking through that door next week. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's but it goes back to like it's it's a leadership problem, right? And, and a vision problem, and it just doesn't exist for this division. So uh, I don't know. It's it's um, frustrating for those of us who are interested in women's wrestling and like women's wrestling because I really want to just be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just not going to think about it. Not going to care about it. But uh, but I'm not going to do that because I actually think it's important. Well, that's kind of why the way that uh, Bushiro does it, they typically do it in Japan is great because you don't have the problem of, oh, women are obviously secondary citizens of this promotion, which is just the case here where, uh, you know, the men's wrestling is 95% of the time. Um, you know, in Japan, it's just like, well, it's a men's wrestling promotion. You go there to watch men. And then we have women's wrestling promotion over there. You go there to watch women and they get all the fucking time in the world. So you can kind of see the logic that way. And yeah, it'd be nice to just say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to watch my start. I'm going to watch my seedling or whatever um, and not worry about AEW as women. But then it's in your face every week when you get four minutes of women and you go, okay, well, you know, it, it, there's no avoiding it. Yeah. All right, Mike, what's something that uh, you did not like from this show? Well, all right. I, I, I had one thing I was thinking about talking about, and then I'm going to veer to the second thing. I'm not going to be a grump about that because the personal taste thing. I'll, I'm going to be a grump about something that I think is completely illogical. MJF's like title campaign thing, the whole election thing. I know we talked about this last week. It continues to fall flat. The purpose of this, like, you can base this off of the fact that he's only lost, been in one loss, one match where his side lost the fall. You don't have to do like, a political angle because it's election year. You don't have to do one that feels so derivative of EC3's one in TNA where you can almost go like beat for beat. And I'm not even like a big impact TNA head, but like this seems like it's such like a hollow feud and something that when they have rankings, when they have, when they're, when they, when they keep stats and when they make a big deal about like people who are challenging, like being a part of like the top five, you can always make that debate and say, Hey, I have not had a title shot. I've only the only match I've like lost the fall of is this one. I won a title shot and you could build it up there and, and you could, there's other ways to get Moxley other than like building up like this fake political campaign against them, which is just like a waste of time when you could actually be doing things that are more rooted in this. And we've seen MJF have recently a very compelling feud with the jungle boy. That was not at all based off of just like some bit that he was doing. And it just seems like it in a lot of ways, it doesn't just demean MJF, demeans Moxley, demeans the title. And I think that it's just completely a useless thing. And it's become one of the more annoying things I've noticed when when MJF came up 
came out at the end of the Moxley Derby match, that made sense. Completely bereft of any of the dumb political context they're trying to apply there. It's just, it's an absolute turn off to me. And I find it incredibly frustrating each time it pops up on screen. And it's not even funny. Like, I get they're trying to make this funny. And they did the whole thing with Lee Johnson and the and the uh, green M&Ms and the writer. And I get, like, that reference there. But overall, like, you're focusing your title feud around this. And it's just, like, not at all what I would be doing for anyone involved. Yeah, uh, we talked about it last week. Um, and, you know, I think people have tended to be higher on that MJF promo than we were. But, you know, again, a totally – he had the content and he has the presence to do a good promo. But why weigh it down with this weird election shtick? Uh, you know, Cubs on Twitter summarized it and said – you know, AEW is going hard into everyone's very excited for election references, which is a different worldview than the one I know. Nobody wants this. <laughs> Nobody wants anything. People want this to be over. I mean, they want they want every election to be over, you know, by the time we're eight months into the primaries. Uh, they want this one to have been over about eight years ago. So, you know, it really gives you the impression that whoever's coming up with this is very disconnected from what, what the general tenor of... Uh, the the discourse and people's lives are in this country right now um so yeah uh, if you're one of our inner circle subscribers then you have access to our show notes here and you'll be able to look at number two on the bad list and see the item that uh, i bullied mike off of talking about by burying it in the opening uh, introduction here oh i just know that i could talk about it in context of that much better than just saying i don't like this 10 minutes i, I want to be clear that i write all these notes so th- these are all okay. my thoughts that's what i thought was bad Really? Okay. Yes. I, mean, I, I, think, thought that's, I thought that's what Mike was Mike was dancing around. I don't know, but that... But oh, the, oh, oh, no, that was going to be my A, then I kind of pivoted okay. into B. The, yeah, those, those are my... Anyway, well, making more about. oblique references to the notes, you got to pay $8 to see them, folks. <laughs> that's right. That, I mean, you know, the bullying is whatever, Nate, but it's salesmanship that I do respect. So Thank you. The tease I like. Uh... Yeah, it's just like, okay, but then they also undermine their own angle, right? Because MJF comes out last week and does, he's cut, he's starting this big campaign to get the title shot against John Moxley. And then <laughs> this week they say, Tony Khan said, I get the title shot. It's like, okay, well, where did- Yeah, because he had the credentials to back up. He never had to do the dumb campaign to begin with. Right, at least if he was like banging at the door for a week, you know, and literally banging on, there's a door at a sign that says Tony Khan and he's banging on it, you know, then could do something interesting. Knock some but... doors. Get some signatures, MJF. Come on. Ooh, we need some phone right. banking. Yeah, I need right. to Aaron Tal would tell you. Yeah, yeah what's it. his van app doing? Like, let's see how that's, right. that's going with that. Like, you could have done that. And you could have done that. Sorry, not interrupt you, Aaron, but this that's is okay. true. Uh, but you could have done that and say, like, oh, he's, he's completely saying, I'm not in the rankings. I have to go win matches to do this and have the matches be the campaign with air quotes. Like, there's ways they could have done this and not make it just feel hacked. I agree. And, you know, like I said, you got Mox in this whole other actually compelling thing. So it just, it seems dumb. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I for one am shocked that uh, the millionaire son of a billionaire uh, is not connected with uh, the, the common person watching AEW. I mean, I do. I kind for whatever reason, I kind of suspect this is an MJF idea. I don't know. Maybe just because he commits to it and he's, you know, he's committed to it and going fully into it. And, you know, we have this idea that people are able to, do their own ideas in this company. But, you know, I don't, I don't think MJF's particularly hard off either. So, well, he does, he also strikes me as one of those guys who would be like, I'm not really into politics, you know, 
don't really think about politics that much. So maybe he, uh, yeah, maybe he's not in touch with, uh, it is weird, I guess. Cause a lot of times like maybe, it, but maybe it's me changing of like, there were definitely times when I really enjoyed the like competition aspect or like the entertainment aspect of an election. You know, you want to sit down and watch the returns when they come in. And it's like, I don't know if it's just me, but it, I mean, it sounds like it's all of us, but it's like, I could not give a shit less about anything related to this, except, uh, you know, at least there's an exciting possibility that uh, that Trump might be gone. But I try not to get too excited about anything because it will just be fucking Joe Biden. So, yeah. OK, what, what's the thing that I hate the most? But even but even on that, I mean, not to go too far astray here, uh, Biden's Biden's winning plan right now. And the one that he seemed to be uh, unusually smart in. Uh, sticking to is that he's just staying invisible and not doing anything and people like that <laughs> people are like yes i don't have to fucking hear this guy speak i don't have to see his name all i know is he's gonna make the other guy shut up for a while so let's just keep it that way and it's like okay yeah that's actually a valid strategy here it's particularly funny because that was hillary's strategy their whole idea was that if they let trump talk a ton he would piss off the the voters and they would let him run the news cycle. And of course, that instead led to uh, yeah. him running the fucking news cycle. But now <laughs> yeah. it's it's like worn on all of us so yeah, much. Now people are like, like, okay, I, I understand what this news cycle looks like for four years. Yeah. So finally, like the Democrats always just do the same thing they did the last election. But uh, this time it actually it actually works. So or it's working. God, who knows what's going to happen. But OK, uh, my delete pick of the week. I think. And I talked about this on some other audio that we do, uh, but I just think you, you're beating Darby too much in big matches. Yes, you can beat Darby a lot. He's an underdog. There's no doubt about that. But, okay, before COVID, they were doing a very good job of Darby would show up. They would present him as a very big deal. The crowd would go crazy for him. He'd leave for a few weeks. He'd come back. Same deal. This guy's important. And the fans understood it and accepted it and uh, treated him as important. But now we've seen him lose to uh, to Cody in a in a couple of matches. We saw him, and I know there was cheating in one uh, in the Jericho, but we saw him lose to Jericho. Now we've seen him lose to Moxley for the title, and so he and it's not part of the story. We don't have Darby cutting promos like Colt Cabana did. That well, I just can't get it done in the big spot. You know, I need to do something different so it worries me that it's just like they realize darby is a guy that is compelling enough to be in a main event and is going to have a good enough match for it to be worthy of being in the main event but i'm not sure that it's basically if there's any stardom fans out there it's like the jungle kiona issue it's like you know you beat somebody in big matches so many times or the hiroki goto problem right i guess more people watch new japan that eventually the fans don't take it seriously when that person is in a big match anymore. And I worry that they're at the beginning of doing that to Darby. So I, I have two points on that. Um, I, you know, I, I think I've agreed with you uh, or I've made the, the same similar point in the past where I, I said that his booking goes backwards or something. I think this does, I, I, I have a hard time applying it to this specific show because the main event was really good and he looked like a badass in it. So it's hard to complain about that because it was a really good match. Uh, and those guys are like perfectly suited for each other. 
uh, and it delivered. And uh, again, Darby looked like a, a badass with the finish. Um, but you know, as a pattern, you you look at the matches with Cody and everything, and you can see that uh, uh, more consistent as a pattern. And I had more issue with it in the Cody matches because he didn't look like such a badass. <laughs> he looked like a guy who got beat by a goofy pin or whatever. Um, so that's my. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. That's my sort of thought as, as it applies to this. I think um, the other issue is that we also don't see him win other big matches, right? Like or or really even other singles featured matches. Um, I mean, I guess he beat Sammy, but it's it's making me, I'm having a hard time bringing to mind another like signature win for Darby. So they've put him at this level where it's like, oh, this guy's a future star. We're going to treat him like a star. We're going to put him in big time matches with our top people like Jericho and Cody and Moxley. But because he's on that level and they're not ready to give him his big wins yet, he just loses all the time. So. I don't know. You, you know, I guess the, the compromise is like you do stuff on dark or whatever. Scorpio sky has like 20 wins on dark. 
Uh, we just need like some money in the bank of like, oh, here's Darby on Dynamite showing that he can win and be a winner against somebody else. And that that way we still keep him somewhat legitimate before, you know, jobbing him to our champion or our other champion again, uh, I, I guess. Darby's longest AEW win streak was three matches. And it was against Preston Vance, Kip Sabian, and then Sammy in that uh, TNT tournament. Like, yeah, yeah. Those I mean, are the value of wins he has. Yeah, that's a problem. And it's like, and you can do, we talked a lot on the show about hierarchies and why hierarchies are important. But Darby, because of where he is, he can be a perfect like gatekeeper style wrestler where there's like a level of guys that he beats a lot. Uh, but then he, you know, then you can understand, you can tell the story that he can't quite get over the hump in the big match, in the big title match yet. But you're right, Nate. They're, they're not doing that. Um, and something, I don't know if they're going to do something with this. They should, because I think it's a it could be a compelling story. But Darby, again, is thwarted doing the coffin drop by, like, being caught into a submission in this match. So... If they want to tell an interesting long-term story, it can be him coming up with some way, you know, because those were both in title matches against the champion, against Cody, against Moxley. So if he can find a way to overcome that, which it's something about like, I mean, it, obviously it's a fascinating part of his character that like he's the daredevil type who his finisher is literally jumping off where he can't see and, you know, falling on top of you. So it's like he has to take that step of, I don't know, appreciating the risk a little more or strategizing a little, but there's, there's something interesting there. I'm just not sure that they're telling us that story. It might just be headcanon. Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not really worried that they're going to put him in the Goto zone yet. Cause I think we still have enough faith to say, yeah, at some point they're going to give him a really big win and it's going to be meaningful. Like I, I'm pretty sure they're going to do that. Uh, you know, we have reasons to believe that they're invested in this guy. Um, but I will say, just on the point of this match, they did a really good job putting over those aspects of Darby's character. Uh, I think JR in particular talking about his Lopez Suicida, where it's like he just doesn't even fucking look. He just goes and like dives, uh, and it's just all perfect Darby stuff. Also, while watching this, I pulled up the Choco Pro watch-along stream because I saw that Emmy Sakura tweeted about it at this time. Uh, and all the all those people were like popping big time for all of Darby's dives. Like Mace Aruga was freaking out when he did uh, you know, the the throw where he went from the stage into the turnbuckle post, like very entertaining. Well, we need, I mean, we got to get uh, May Saruga and Lulu pencil in AW once, once all this is that over. Would solve almost all their problems. That would probably <laughs> like everything would come together. Uh, AEW heels would be critically acclaimed and everyone would love it. Uh, it would just be an instant fix. They should. Yeah. If they just bring over the whole uh, Choco pro roster to, to AEW, I think that would, it would cover a lot of sins. Okay, well, let's move on to the ratings from this week. A Okay, I, I mean, uh, we were fucking wrong, I guess, is the, the best way to put this. <laughs> Everyone uh, was wrong, not just yeah. us. Everybody like, thought let's... NBA would, would be a big deal this week and, and kill everybody. But instead, AEW had a huge jump from 773,000 up to 901,000. And from a 0.3 in the demo to a 0.36, that was good for fifth on cable. Of course, you add in two NBA games that they wouldn't have otherwise been competing with. Uh, NXT also had a jump, 707 to 753, up slightly to 27th in the demo with a 0.2. It looks, I mean, it looks generally from what I can tell that just like people tuned in to watch the NBA who weren't otherwise watching television. Uh, And 
I don't know. I can't explain it, but it is what happened. I mean, first we should give thanks for, as we are now in the light of the demo God, that much like the book of Exodus and Moses, we've been brought to a holy land where we may not be able to enter the holy land just yet of AEW being on top of the ratings, but we see it off in the distance in the ether. But to me, the big thing is that you look at the TV schedule, you look at what you see on your show Buzz Daily today, and the biggest draw on TV was not the feared and scary returning National Basketball Association. It was Big Brother. Big Brother won the night. And that is something that's quite remarkable because the first game did have the most recognizable athlete in the United States, LeBron James, which is something that AEW... I wish it were 1996 so we could say the competition for AEW wasn't big country. It was big brother. <laughs> that would have that that would have been a fantastic joke. It would have fucking killed in 1996. Brother Bentley, that would have been a fantastic joke. I mean, there must be another big something player in the NBA right now, right? I was trying to think big so breakfast. hard, but, but big country was all I could think of. I mean, we have Back there's been trailer. a lot of uh, there's been a lot of vintage Grizzlies gear around lately. Yeah, Andrew had it on the Talking Chop show, and then I think Chuck was wearing some, right? Uh, like, yeah, well, he was wearing a John Morant, John Morant jersey who played at Murray State, Chuck's okay. alma mater. Yeah. yeah, a lot of lot of Grizzlies in well, the uh, in the in the zeitgeist lately. The Grizzlies yeah. brought back the old Vancouver throwbacks, uh, so I think that's that's helped. But yes, sorry, sorry, uh, Pastor. I, no, uh, no, speak uh, out. When the Spirit reaches you. You speak out <laughs> and you join yeah. us. This is a congregation, not a congregation. <laughs> I, I i've i've watched a lot of whole i've listened to a lot of holy boys and maybe that's what's rubbed off on me for this but it, it, it's something where you like look at what we had on tv and we everyone was thinking of this it wasn't just myself it was everyone thinking oh nba is back baseball's back but we all thought that aew because aew viewers have been shown to They'll circle back to AEW. They will watch it on DVR. They'll watch like recordings. But if there's some some live event, they'll go towards it. But maybe it was the fact that I, I looked at the box scores because I was watching the show. Like pretty much the, the Lakers, it was not a close game either of these games. So maybe they could have flipped over, saw the game, and like, no, nah, that game's not worth watching and stayed on. Like it's the most rational thing. I would also like to say that uh, Brother Cody's war with guys' grocery games continues unabated i fear for what happens if guys grocery games ever overtakes them in the ratings but it's going to be interesting i especially like what's coming up like we've been seeing like weird fluctuations and they ended up having the uh, their strongest week since covid which is something really worth saying i mean 0.36 was around about what they were having and uh before in the before times like 0.36 was about how they were evening out to so it's kind of interesting stuff and I'm I'm gonna stop saying that like that like the book of revelations is here because that obviously didn't work. I do want to say that if AEW, if you they basically NXT was as close to AEW as AEW was to just like fucking demolishing everybody on cable. Like if you increase yeah, their a, demo by a, by a point one six, they would have just fucking crushed everybody. Yeah, like that's the wild thing. Like the NBA 
games did not do well. Like it was 1.8 million viewers, like not an insane amount of things. I think what problem was the Lakers clinched the number, the number one seed, like the game before. So they didn't really have anything to play for. And uh, they showed on the court that they really didn't give a fuck about the game. So I think that probably didn't help. I'm just, uh, you know, Cody's been having his fun with Guy Fieri here. I'm just getting anxious for when he's going to call out C- Tucker Carlson. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they topped Hannity this week, which was, uh, they don't, they don't do. Uh, but this week, AEW above Hannity. You know, Tucker Carlson is the next guy on the list. So when's Cody going to put his money where his mouth is and call him out? Cody has some real Tucker Carlson energy, I would say. Uh, <laughs> I think that's unfair. I have, <laughs> I cannot tell you the last time I saw a clip of Tucker Carlson, but I feel like he's gone full, you know, white oh, supremacist. Oh, yeah, he's full fash. There's no doubt yeah, about okay. it. But can't you imagine in a, in a different – in a different world, uh, Cody. Al- beat- Cody also wears a suit better than. Uh, sure, but can't you imagine Cody being a bow tie guy? I mean, I think that's not that far from the real uh, possibilities. Yeah, most of the the southern guys I knew in college did like their bow ties. Ugh, bow ties. Okay, well that's ratings for this week. Let's run down the show. We open up. Apparently, we're going to fight about this. So buckle up buckaroos well now that it, now that we're out of the elite or delete section that you know you don't have to spend a ton of time on it that's true opened the show again with the multi-man tag match this time a 12-man Brody lee colt cabana evil uno Stu grayson and nine who I, I still don't know who that was defeated kenny omega hangman page young bucks and ftr Brody lee pinned hangman with a lariat i should also mention that during the match dax left ringside with an injury Cash went with him, so it was down to a five versus three. I think Hangman also left originally, right? But then came back. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I really enjoyed this match. A world of difference, you at least must admit, from last week's opening multi-man match. This one was at minimum considerably better than that. Uh, but yeah, just like, you know, uh, Meltzer's been shouting it out. This is like why the Young Bucks are, you know, among the best multi-man match planners probably in the history of the business because, just had a ton of moving parts here. Had six guys on each side, in and out of the ring at all times, and yet you still had a pretty coherent story. And you had mid-match stories here playing out with, uh, you know, the revival leaving and abandoning the elite, and Hangman going with them and then coming back. Uh, you had uh, the building a feud, obviously, with him and Brody Lee on uh, his failed recruitment to the Dark Order. Uh, you've got Kenny and Colt interplay, uh, and you had just a really uh engaging gripping match uh even though you were featuring a guy named nine who was some random jobber in a dark order costume uh and like alan angels was uh you know in the ring for a considerable portion of this match you know in there with uh the bucks and kenny and hangman all these people and just bumping his ass off um so i thought a really successful segment both in being an entertaining match and you know giving you some development uh, on stories, but not in a way that feels cheap or, you know, feels like it's detracting from the result of the match. My counterpoint is the Bucks have been trained to understand how to do multi-man ma- wrestling. They're, the, the biggest formulative moment for them before even New Japan was spending a, a long amount of time in Dragon Gate, where the multi-man match is king. That is your big match. But the thing about this is you have a 12-man tag and they, it took them a while to hit a certain pace, but you can't like have the slowness in this. Like the pace picked up towards the end as it should. And I turned around 
from like really like being kind of negative on the first eight minutes. But as soon as they turned out to be like a six on five for a while, and specifically when everyone was teeing off on Alan Angels, who I think was MVP of this match, by the way, Alan, Nate, you're dead on by this. Alan Angels ruled in this situation. It was a kind of a slog because the thing about these matches are you have at the, at its core is when you have more than like a trios match, like you pretty much have to do something insane. It had to have like a long stretch that neutralizes every other person on the other side. And they finally came around and did it. And they did a nice, uh, they did like the nice setup for what would have been the tag team champs finish ducked out. And then who they should probably have be the next big challenger for the tag team. The, the champions got the pen. And I thought that that was like an excellent way of getting there. And basically like, like as soon as like that they went towards that portion of this match, this match was great. It just was for me, the build up to that portion. It, you, when you have like all these people out here and when you start, and this is supposed to be their hot start match, you can't go, you can't like shift into gears. You have to immediately be going full pedal to the floor. And that's why I wanted out of this match and it got there, but it took a while to get there. Yeah, I agree with Mike. I, I think that I, I fucked up. Who was it in this match? Was it? FDR, Hangman, No, no was Kenny. it Uno or Grayson that wasn't in the match? They were both in the match. They're both in the match. It was a 12-person tag. Game. It was six versus six. I just left out Alan Angels. Yeah, you left Sorry. out Angels. Sorry, Alan. You were very good. You were the MVP uh, of the match. You were very good here. Uh, yeah, I agree with Mike, so I'm not going to repeat what he said. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like, after this match, I'm more interested in whatever Brody Lee is doing next. Like him versus Hangman or Brody and Colt versus Kenny and uh, Hangman is like one of the more interesting title challenges that they will have done recently. I've been talking about Brody and Colt being the people to take the titles off of uh, Omega and Page, and I think that's a very good way to go. Yeah, I think like this is actually like a title feud with like big stakes where they really, as much as I love best friends, it didn't feel like there was the stakes there. So I'm all for it. Like this is definitely a feud I want to see them go on to until all out. And then I guess Dax is apparently is hurt is injured did we know i mean Oatgan called it a work i mean what what do we think i assumed it was a work to tell the story of this match yeah okay. it does seem like there was like a thing of him at like a, a trainer's table that he posted so i mean it could be anything that could yeah could be a work i mean if my complaint uh, i voiced this on our uh patreon show uh, where i discussed bt is you know really retreading the same ground here with the elite relationship and and Adam Page and FTR are they friendly or are they enemies? Like, really, really kind of going in circles here. Should probably reach some sort of resolution, uh, you know, in this pay per view cycle to that whole thing. Oh yeah, I'm very bored by by all that at this point, which I was like a few months ago, I think. So right, it, it's you know, I think I, I pushed back on you being bored of that uh, at the time because it was like, well, this is the hottest story in the company right now. They just need to keep progressing it. The problem was they didn't progress it. They just kept doing things and then going back on things and then, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So, yeah, you need a forward progression. Yes, it's a line allows progression, as they say. We see Chuck and Tritt show up in Chekhov's minivan, as uh, as Chuck told us. And then we got the Moxley promo I talked about earlier. He basically says... Compares himself to Darby. He was a young wrestler. There's a lot of stuff he wanted to do that people told him not to. And he wishes he, he would have listened because he paid a price. Uh, so he kind of understands where Darby's coming from. But now he has to be the one who's concerned 
about Darby. But then he says, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's going to ruin Darby's Brett career. He's my favorite guy in AW, but it's a title shot. So I got to treat him like everybody else. Not going to talk him out of anything. Uh, but when it's time to stay down, he hopes Darby just stays down. I think we talked about that promo already. So I'll move on. The best friends defeated Santana and Ortiz. Trent rolled up Ortiz. This was a lot of fun. You know, I, this is, as we talked about earlier, this is a feud that I really hope that they don't just do a one-off and pay off. I feel like that these two teams, there's a lot of interesting things they could do. And then down the line, there's a title change. Then these are two people that, two teams that should be elevated into the title conversation after that. Did you guys see that Beyond posted uh, a free match between yes. these two teams earlier in the day under YouTube? Yes, I did yeah, see that. Well, well, hey, Beyond is very good at uh, exploiting YouTube interest. So yeah, I was gonna yeah. watch it, but it didn't have Pog in the title, so just not relevant to me <laughs> personally. All right, we saw MJF. I might call might call Chuck a Pog. <laughs> Put a guy on the end there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. MJF is backstage with Wardlow. Uh, I, we're, what we're seeing is basically a campaign headquarters. He's mad at big shoddy Lee Johnson for hanging a poster that isn't level. We see... I did, I did like that because that is a, uh, uh, a pet peeve of mine. Um, is poorly hung wall art, which for whatever reason has come up a lot in the DM recently. Uh, Adam Cole posted a bunch of pictures of his gamer gamer cave and all of his uh, metal gamer prints are hung very poorly. So I'm right there with MJF that, uh, you know, you got to get a level out. You got to know what you're doing. You got to have a plan with this shit before you start putting it up. The, the funny thing is that the level was just on the floor. Like that was the best part. Like the level was on the floor. He like picked it up. It was like right there. And just like, all right, that's great. Your iPhone's got a level app. Just bust it out. Come on. Uh, we see so uh, there's a screen with polls on it. MJF is winning 100% to negative 88% in the polls. Uh, we learned that Tony Khan has already approved the match for All Out. And then somebody off screen who we we are never introduced to, I don't think, unless I missed that part, says, well, what if Darby wins? And MJF says, 120-pound emo kid? Oh, it'd really suck to wrestle him for the world title. Next up, we see Matt Hardy in the ring. He is basically explaining to the fans why he's dropping all his gimmicks. He's saying he, that he's heard from the fans that they prefer him to focus on being him. So that's what he's going to do. Uh, and then off screen, he wants to help people like private party. He wanted to help Sammy Guevara, but Sammy didn't want his help. Uh, so he no longer desires to help Sammy. He desires to hurt him. Then we see Sammy is starting to sneak out from under the ring and Hardy hits him with a, Sammy, I knew you'd come. They start brawling. Sammy throws a chair at him, which uh, one especially very dumb person in our Discord claimed that it was a gig job. Well, it wasn't a gig job. And now it was proven that it wasn't a gig job, and I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, the cut, that was not a gig. I don't think I'm the person you're referring to, though. No. Okay. I'm just kidding. Our good friend, uh Inner Circle subscriber, I am the table, a good man, uh, but my my rival in the in the <laughs> Patreon Discord. So uh, this ruled, I thought. Like 
I don't know. They suddenly made this story very compelling to me. I thought Matt Hardy did a great job here. And for a company that does a lot of fucking brawls like this, this one was really done well. It's like, oh, maybe Matt Hardy knows what he's doing. And uh, I know apparently somebody got mad at Sammy for the, the chair throw, but the blood really did improve it. And he did that sick flip off the stage onto the table. So this was just, it was good. Yeah, the, the flip brought it together for me because he, like his velocity on the flip was wild. He looked like he was out of control and just hurling his body into Hardy to to hurt him. So that was super effective. Um, you know, I, I've heard this speech by Matt Hardy three times now between his vlog and BTE where he did this speech and now again on the main show. Um, and I, you know, I don't really see the necessity of it. In the, like, I understand doing it on this show just because you're setting up the angle, right? Yeah. Like, oh, we just need an opportunity for Sammy to attack Matt. That's fine. But the rest of it just seems wholly unnecessary. Like, I know there was a lot of pushback, including from me on all his magic gimmicks and shit. But you don't have to call such attention to it that, oh, I'm going to step out of my fake character now. Just fucking do it, right? Just fucking have him be normal for a while. And then it's like, fine. And then when you want to do something like the stadium stampede, which everyone loved, you can go back to it. And it doesn't feel like such an abrupt shift. Like, I don't know. Why call attention to your own fuck up in that way? Yeah, it's something that you also would have people then after a while be like, oh, is it ever going to come back? Is it ever going to come back? Like, the whole idea about like the three faces of Foley thing was that like when they happened, they were abrupt changes initially. And it was like, oh shit, now mankind is dude love. He's Cactus Jack. Like, like they were able to do that. Uh, the one thing that I want to continue to put over is uh, Sammy's dive. It's not just like the velocities, the fact that he started his rotation, like not it, like he like started rotating in air, like over the stage before like being fully in air that made it more nuts to me. I just think like, I don't know, AEW feels like obsessed with telling the fans that they're listening and like showing that they're different from WWE because they respond to the fans' reactions. Yeah, I mentioned this on BT Recap too, but they made, you know, the, the Young Bucks have been really great their whole careers and especially in like the BT era of taking criticism or whatever the discourse is and making a joke out of it and kind of using it to their own ends which they did on this episode talking about how, oh, you know, we always beat our monsters in, in one week and then our monsters are dead, which is like, I don't really, I don't really agree with that complaint. And I don't know that it's, I'm not sure they're listening to the right people. Basically, basically they should be listening to us and they shouldn't be listening to other people. I think that's most of my point here. Yeah. I have to agree with that. We saw Santana and Ortiz out back. They're destroying Sue's minivan and Santana paints sue on the hood and then puts an x <laughs> through it <laughs> like that's sue <laughs> which i loved uh then next up was cody and matt cardona defeating john Silver. sorry one point on that i, I also want to note that uh you know everybody sold this on twitter uh but the dark order also sold that because they're still trying to lay claim to sue so they're like no you can't do that to sue <laughs> yes very funny uh cody and matt cardona defeated john silver and alex reynolds Cardona pinned Reynolds with what? The radio silence? Radio silence. Uh, I didn't hear that on the show. So, so oh my someone's God. not always ready here. Well, I, <laughs> I usually have the commentary down so I can talk to our, our patrons in the, the highlight of the match. <laughs> no, the yeah. highlight of the match was him coming in at like a house of fire and then just having like the most like 1980s WWF like top tag. That's the highlight of the match. This was not just like to, nice uh, on the cake. Not to 
just cite tweets for the 10th time this episode, but Matt Cardona even quote tweeted something about the movie called Radio Silence and wrote, get it in all caps. <laughs> He's just like a fucking geek, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. 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 And again, I, it's like, kind of, you know, it's a little bit charming. Yeah. L- l- like now there is a, especially since we know he, it's mentioned that he's not under full-time contract after we're like the, the general amusement's gone. He might be gone out of here. So he won't like just exist far too long. So I'm enjoying our weeks with Matt Cardone until he's gone. I'm not, I'm not optimistic about him leaving because their numbers were up. Uh, they have not expressed a lot of restraint and not signing people after they give them these tryouts. They pretty much sign all of them. So Warhorse. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, but even then it was like, I think that was, that was the one that they brought in to prove they could not sign somebody, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you know, they keep See, doing... guys, we have some restraint. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think they're going to sign him. After the match, Cody's walking out the entrance uh, way, and Scorpio Sky greets him, taps the belt. We've got a, a TNT championship set up. This is, you know, carrying over an angle from Dark, where Scorpio cut a promo saying basically. He's seven and zero on dark, but you know that's not the ceiling on his career. He's he's a main event uh, player in this promotion. Yeah, it would have been good to see that promo on the show, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I really did. I thought this was a really strong episode. I know I'm, everything I'm doing, I was complaining, but you know, cut three minutes from the opening and uh, throw that promo in here afterward to be like, hey, here's why we saw Scorpio earlier. Yeah, yeah. That would have made more sense. I mean, it made sense to me, but that's because I watch Dark every week. So yeah. <laughs> I watched it on Twitter and I was like, yeah, was, you know, it was a good promo by Scorpio. He had some, yeah. uh, an interesting premise for it. You know, it wasn't just a run of the mill sort of thing. He had some, some sort of idea or theme to the promo. And I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I was glad to see him come out here and do this. I think he's in play for being the guy to win this title next. We, you know, oh, uh, let it have said it from the beginning that they're going to give Scorpio Sky a big singles push. Um, and, yeah. I'm, you know, love to be proven right and take my victory lap. So maybe not in this first challenge, but, uh, you know, could certainly see him in, as a player in the future. Well, since I gave him shit earlier, I have to put over uh, tables. Longstanding I, fantasy booking, basically, for the TNT title, which is that this is before he ever showed up, that Matt Cardona would turn on Cody and win the TNT title from him. Yeah, you like you like that idea, huh? Me? No. No, I don't. Well, you just said you had to put it over. Oh, oh shit. Um, <laughs> it's a great idea. It's uh, only our most beloved patrons would come up with an idea okay. like that. I don't know. That uh, that idea seems to require uh, a lot more Matt Cardona. <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, again, people like him. I mean, I would, you know, personally, if I'm going to fantasy book, you know, Rey Mysterio doesn't re-sign with the WWE and he comes back to the elite promotion. And just shows up on a whim on a Wednesday night. That'd be sick, honestly. Yeah, it'd be tremendous. Yeah, I'm I'm for that. Uh, yeah. So either like, you know, if I was fantasy booking, it's either like Ray Mysterio or like Lulu Pencil wins. The uh, well, we, I mean, we do not want to open the can of worms that is intergender right now. <laughs> no, um, no, no. I no, do. No, no. Do we do we think they put Dominic in a SummerSlam match just to get? Ray to resign, or we think that was like a term of Ray resigning. Like, yeah, I'll resign, but you have to literally give Dominic a SummerSlam match against your quote unquote top guy. I like, I didn't realize that was a real, I kept seeing people talk about Dominic and that he was in WWE, but I thought he was just like 
beginning to train or something? No, and- his, I don't think he's been on NXT or anything at all. He's just been involved in like Ray Angles doing physical stuff. So now he's going to have a match with Seth Rollins on their big pay-per-view? Quote, unquote, big pay-per-view, yes. Well, I mean, that's I mean, in a, like normal times, that's like their second biggest show of the year, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. So pretty wild. And they're going to do it for fans, right? Uh, no, I don't think it's clear yet, but they do want to do it out of the performance center. They want to do a different look. I mean, they might go fucking do it on the GCW boardwalk. Like that's, you know, if they want to do it in New Jersey or something, maybe. That's just, I, I mean, they are really now like, cr- like not just like digging to the bottom of the barrel. They're like trying to sap up whatever they have left to have ideas because they hate being in the performance center so much. I'm just it's very like- in- interested by the idea that Ray would be like, you know, if I'm, I want to get my son established in this business. So I don't know. It, I don't know that it's in Dominic's favor to be like, put in this position at this time with not. Seth Rollins. But also I kind of like, I kind of think Ray is beloved enough that that will extend to Dominic and people won't turn against him. I mean, you people in Japan would love Shinya Hashimoto. That has not extended to his son after a while. I mean, yeah, even then I think it's different for Ray. I think Ray is, uh, occupies a different, cause he's kind of like small and you're, I don't know. There's like a weird different sort of adoration for him. Isn't like Dominic like much bigger? Like I'm not watching. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Dominic uh, Mysterio, rookie in this business, is going to be out here at SummerSlam. Wait, how big is this kid? How the fuck did that happen? I mean, Ray is unusually small, so you would expect that it would uh, return to the mean, right? When he had a child, I, that, he's probably, I would say, a minimum of four inches taller than him. Oh, okay. So he's not like six well, feet tall. I, I think Dominic was taller than him when Dominic was like a 13-year-old in that Eddie Guerrero angle. Oh, yeah. Like for real. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. All right. So Chuck and Trent are by Sue's van. Chuck says, you made a liar out of me. I told Sue I would get the van back safely. And he says, if you wanted a rematch, all you had to do was ask, but we'll beat you again like we did tonight. And Trent says, and when we do beat you, you're going to personally apologize to my mom on speakerphone. Which is good. You tremendous. Like tremendous. This led into the Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy debate. The first thing we find out is that the guest moderator is Eric Bischoff. Not going to recap this whole thing, but I'll give like a few of the of the highlights, I suppose. Uh, Jericho was mad Orange didn't dress up, so Orange pulled out a clip-on tie. Jericho said he hates it. Orange doesn't take anything seriously. Basically, they're doing a bit where Orange doesn't talk at all to any of the questions until there's a question about rising sea levels, and Orange gives us some thoughts on um, climate change. Then he again doesn't answer anything else until he finally tells Jericho to shut up. He says, I know what you're doing here. You scheduled a debate against a guy that doesn't talk, which I thought was a a funny line. He says, you're trying to embarrass me, but uh, I don't care. But what I do care about is next week I care about the match, the biggest match of my life. But it's also the biggest match of your life because can you imagine losing to the guy that puts his hands in his pockets? Then he gets very serious because he wants Chris to look at him in the eyes, look at the man who's going to embarrass him, the man who's going to beat you. Eric Bischoff declares Orange Cassidy the winner of the debate. Uh, Chris Jericho sends Hager in to beat up Orange. He does, puts Orange hands in his pockets, and then throws him toward Chris Jericho for a pretty sick Judas effect. Best friends try to come out to make the save, but they're 
slightly too late because they were worried about Sue's van. Yeah, this uh, absolutely, I think, exceeded what it could have been. Um, you know, the worst case scenario for this is like, remember that Cody and Chris Jericho contract signing where it was like super oh, yeah. awkward promos? This was, you know, at least better than that. And uh, I think some people found it to be really excellent. I, I'll give them credit. Very hard to thread the needle of how do we have a character who doesn't care about anything and is lazy, but we also want to build them up for a super important match with a main event guy. Like pretty hard to do that, uh, especially in a fully spoken context where you have to do that in, in a written promo. Uh, and I, you know, I think they came pretty close to succeeding if not succeeded outright. Uh, and the physical aspect of the angle with forcing his hands in his pockets and giving him a gnarly looking elbow uh, was the cherry on top. Yeah, I, I thought that by the end of this segment, it succeeded. I feel like a lot like the uh, opening match. They cut out one of the gag questions that Chris Jericho cuts answers seriously and uh, Orange Cassidy uh, just is mute for. Perfect segment. This completely did it. I think like my main issue of the show is that something's got way too much more time that could have been used elsewhere. Maybe on the women's division. They also yeah. got uh, Eric Bischoff to admit that climate change is real. So good for them. Yeah, I really, the master stroke here is they're just co-opting the entire Conrad universe, you know, except, uh, and they're just going to get all these old guys in the business to stop sucking at daddy Vince's teat. And they're going to keep that door open and be nice to AEW because they might get a little of that con money. And I think that's just a, a very funny and savvy sort of uh, big picture wrestling maneuver. Uh, and it'll make Jim Cornette all the more bitter that he's not getting any of these paydays when, you know, these guys like Eric Bischoff are. Yeah, I, I basically agree that it was just, it was too long. There was a time when I was like, oh no, this is really bad. This is going to be really bad. Right before the uh, uh, climate change question, right? Yeah, and even after I was like, ah, what are we doing here? Now, the fucking MVP here is Orange Cassidy. I mean, the, the way that he delivered the final part of this promo is like, was excellent. I mean... It felt like he cared, but it also, they'd done a good enough job, as Nate was talking about, of building up the story to where it made sense for Orange to care in that moment. So I thought they did a good job, and I'm interested in it. And, you know, if normal rules hold up, I mean, Orange has to win, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, no. I don't know. I mean, they just... I, mean, I, I think the outcome of this is that Jericho's putting Orange over. Yeah, it's just when. Is it going to be here, or are they going to wait for All Out? I don't know, but I mean, they absolutely beat the shit out of... I mean, that Judas effect was nasty. Yeah. Like, Orange has to get some measure of uh, whatever, whatever the word I'm looking for is here. It is really funny to think about... Revenge? You know, making it making it meaningful to beat Chris Jericho. Like, uh, in that promo, Scorpio Sky was like, how many people have beaten Chris Jericho on this company? Two, you know, and I'm one of them. Because uh, when I think about him being programmed with orange Cassidy here, who's like new on the national stage uh, and has like a pretty, uh, you know, comedic leaning gimmick. Like the, I think that the comparison point is Fandango when Chris Jericho had a big WrestleMania program against Fandango and how that didn't end up meaning fucking shit for anybody. And it was just like, Oh yeah, they're just going to put this guy over Chris Jericho for no reason. Uh, and then not do anything with them or have anything matter at all. Uh, and this just, you know, feels like a world of difference from that. 
I think it's pretty fascinating because you really only get one chance with uh, with a character like Orange to to put him over somebody and try to make him into something more than he is. And you can imagine a wrestling promotion putting him over somebody like Arch. I mean, not this person, but like Lance Archer, like on that level of the promotion, you know, like a upper mid card kind of guy, like, oh, we're going to elevate him. But Mm -hmm. instead it's like the biggest star in the promotion probably. And it's really going all the way, but you also, you have to be, I think if they're going to have orange win, which I think they will ultimately win the feud, you have to really be dedicated to making orange like a thing and really getting behind him. Yeah. And that's why I kind of, uh, every time I watch these, the, the, like this segment and the storyline, like I have, you have to take account of the degree of difficulty of what they're doing here, which is like, you can see how this segment goes extremely wrong and sucks and kills the whole feud and even the character. And is just awful. Uh, so like, Every time they don't do that is like a little bit of success. Every time they do something great is like an unbelievable success that, you know, is hard to do in wrestling, you know, uh, regardless of era or context. So, yeah, um, you know, it's working. Next, we saw Tony Schiavone with Britt Baker in her Michael Jordan jersey. She says, after careful consideration, she's chosen a challenger for Big Swole. It's Reba. And Reba sells it as a great shock. You know, she, she's not prepared for this. And basically, we run right into a match. Big Swole defeating Reba with Dirty Dancing. And the idea of the match was that Reba uh, is not a wrestler and doesn't know how to wrestle. And so she was just kind of doing stuff. And uh, it was fun. Well, they, I know you don't listen to the commentary, but they did put over that she's had almost 100 matches or something. So they did say oh, that she did was they? Yes. All I heard them. All I heard people say in the Discord was that they commented that she was a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, they, what, that's what they did when they started. But they. Yeah, they definitely. I don't remember. It might have been Tony. Oh, I. Uh, I, also, I did want to complain about this also. Again, <laughs> I really like this show. Here's my five thousandth complaint. <laughs> uh, the sound mixing was super goofy. They dropped in a ton of Tony Schiavone uh, commentary lines in post, and you could obviously tell. Uh, I think this is probably. Uh, exacerbated on my end because I do the fight TV feed and it's on my computer speakers and it's very noticeable for me when, uh, you know, the sound recording context change. Uh, And as everyone pointed out, the piped in sound, you know, preferable to last week where the crowd was down and it sounded like, uh, you know, an empty tomb or something. Uh, But after two hours of the piped in crowd sound on this, it was like, okay, extremely obviously fake now. Uh, you know, kind of working against you. And then the main event for the AEW World Championship, John Moxley defeated Darby Allen with a paradigm shift. There was a little thing in the middle of this where Wardlow came out to distract the ref. MJF jumped in and hit Moxley with the world title, trying to deliver the match to Darby, uh, but it was unsuccessful and Mox gets the win. Yeah, really good match. Um, yeah, I go fucking whenever anybody counters a move and do a, a, a top rope move and catches them in a submission, like I almost always like the match. Uh, and this was, you know, choking Darby out and just using all of Moxley's size uh, to counter his, you know, his own unique style of using his small speed to his advantage. Yeah, I thought it was a really strong match, played perfectly to both guys' characters and to the promo that Moxley cut early in the show. Am I right in that their first match it was uh, Moxley by rear naked choke winning beating him? 
I thought uh, it was like he. I think you're wrong because he did the top rope. Uh, oh, that's right. Paradigm yeah. shift that in, that okay. knocked Darby out for a month or something. Right. Yeah, because Darby loses and he goes away. Um, so I my point was going to be that like the progression of the idea that the uh, RNC didn't work, but that didn't apply. But yeah, no, I, I, this was a match that these two guys work really well together, and you kind of see like at least in this storyline how. Moxley is going to have to go to deeper and deeper depths to put out Darby, and that's interesting to me. Yeah, I want to I want to put over the promo again because the promo, and this kind of relates to your your delete also, Aaron. That promo did a really good job in changing the terms of victory for Darby, where he still kind of got a win by continuing to fight uh, and meeting Moxley's expectations, even though he was not at any point going to win the match. Right. Like, and, and Moxley acknowledged that he's like, I know you're not going to stay down, but I just have to tell you to stay down. And, you know, uh, Darby didn't until he was, you know, ultimately put out. But yeah, I think that was the, the real genius of that promo is it told you that Darby was going to win, but it still established a path through which Darby could look like a badass. It's also just like, I, I think I, there was a lot I really liked about this match, but I just kind of still still have some weird feelings when I see Darby like on the on the screen in the show, whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. But there was a lot of cool stuff. Um, Moxley just like being like, no, I do God style pal drivers now. Um, right out of the sleeper too. Just like, no, I'm just going to do the Suzuki thing completely. It's pretty fun. So, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash everything elite. We do lots of bonus audio every month, including our Wednesday dynamite preview show called light. Mike and I preview dynamite. Um, we also review dark and for the time being, we're going to be reviewing the women's tag team cup and Nate gets us through all the vlog content that is relevant to you. So you, uh, that you need to know so you don't have to watch it all. Uh, but also, if you watch it, Nate also just does fun reviews that are worth listening to anyway. Sometimes. It it varies pretty wildly. This most recent <laughs> week, I forgot I had not recorded after I took my NyQuil, so I might not have been entirely <laughs> lucid. Uh, that was one of the shorter ones. But, but yet, I'm pretty sure I hit the main points. Mike always tells me it, when we start light, he's like, oh, Nate did X minutes. So we kind of know, like, well, what do we need to hit or whatever? And he's like, oh, Nate did 12 minutes. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I was doing 20 for a minute there. Yeah, no, you were. Yeah, that's, that's too much. Uh, we also do, like, bigger bonus shows. This week, uh, one of my favorite ones that we've had in a while, Into the Codyverse, Nate with Oakgan and Drew Spears. They reviewed Talking Shop Mania. And uh, it is truly a lot of fun for someone who didn't watch that show. Paul Lee is a, <laughs> just a ridiculous figure. Like, no, that, that 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 show ruled. Like, that was one of the more fair things that we've done in a while. Thank so, you. yeah, yeah. You'll, get, you'll get bonus shows like that. And we have a Discord you can join if you're a member of our Patreon. It's a lot of fun. We do live voice chats every week uh, during Dark and during Dynamite. And special this month, we're going to be doing Stardom Five Star Grand Prix day by day audio. So as soon as they get the shows up, we will do audio about each day. It's going to be me and 
Uh, Taylor Mainberg is going to join me for some of it. Uh, I told Mike I might draft him for some of it. So, and some of them I'm sure will just be me. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but jump on over to Patreon.com/slash/EverythingElite and subscribe. Next week on Dynamite, the seven thousand dollar obligation match: best friends and inner circle banned from ringside. Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. Yeah, maybe this is. Uh, we kind of talked about this, Mike, but maybe this is building. I would fucking die for this. Uh, maybe it's building to a Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy cage match. I that makes sense with how they're building this and how they're now banning people from ringside. And that means that someone's going to be in after the match. You know, like it feels like that this is not the end point of this feud to me. This is another funny, just right, exact right level of comedy is the stipulation in this match. $7,000 obligation match because of the $7,000 coat of Chris Jericho's that Orange Cassidy ruined, and he's been carrying the orange stained ca- coat out or even wearing it. Just exactly totally correct for this promotion. TNT Championship match, Cody versus Scorpio Sky. And then, even though those are the top two matches, it will also be Tag Team Appreciation Night with FTR hosting. And we're going to have Omega and Hangman versus Jurassic Express. We're going to have the Dark Order team of Evil Uno and Stu Grayson against the Young Bucks, and special appearances by the Rock and Roll Express, Tully Blanchard, and Arn Anderson, who is on the TV show every week. <laughs> I, I I think you have to pay off uh, the Rock and Roll Express versus Proud and Powerful here. I Please feel like you need to have that match. At least acknowledge it. Yeah, right. Give me a Rock and Roll Express match on Dynamite. That's all I'm asking for. It is funny that Tag Team Appreciation Night is you know uh, uh, they've had. 12 pandemic shows and 10 of them have had tag team title matches. And this one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and, and it's something that it's like, it's always these tag teams that are on every show too. It's like, Oh wait, remember like the Lucha brothers showed up for like three weeks. Yeah, what remember happened that? To them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that triple H just got the okay to do uh, empty arena shows in Mexico city, but where are the, where the, like that? Yeah. No, it's just something that popped in my head. I didn't know. I did see that Shima was watching the debate, saying he was learning English. I'm like, Shima, buddy, you're like quadrilingual. Like, you don't need to bother yourself with this, man. All right. Well, anything else we want to talk about before we get out of here? I got nothing, boss. Everybody's thinking. No. I can see him thinking. All <laughs> right. Well, let me do the plugs, and maybe somebody will think of something. We'll see. Uh, if you want to chat with us, you can tweet us at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating and a review. And please go and support the show. Get every audio we've ever done. Uh, Patreon.com slash everything elite. Pause. Pause. All right. For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. Bye.